Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. like to welcome Messianic Rabbi Bruce Niger. Thank you for coming. Hallelujah. Good morning. Does everyone have elements for communion? If you don't have it, raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. Keep your hand up until you have it. Thank you, ushers. Thank you, worship team. Praise God. You know, um, the prophets have been speaking about the time we're in right now, and they're saying that there's been a lot of people expecting God to move and change the course of our history, and he says... Even when you don't see it, I'm working behind the scenes. I'm the way maker. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, I'm working. And we need to trust God. Okay. Jesus in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John said a very hard thing. He said, if you, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. If you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And many of the disciples couldn't understand how that was possible. But he didn't explain themselves, himself. He didn't say anything like, I'm talking about communion, I'm talking about the fulfillment of the Passover. He offered no explanation. He just said, either you eat of my flesh and drink, it, drink of my blood, or you won't have eternal life with me. This is the source of eternal life. Amen. Many of the disciples and followers left him that day. And when they'd all fallen away because it was just too hard of a saying for them to take in, he went to the 12 who were his chosen apostles and he said, are you going to leave too? Yeah. And Peter said, you have the words of life. You're the son of God, the Messiah. Where else can we go? Amen. And I'm saying this morning, when we do this communion, we need to understand what Jesus was saying. Because in these elements is life for us. Eternal life based on faith in him. And he is the bread that came down from heaven. He is eternal life. And in him we live and move and have our being. Amen? So let's take the bread. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the bread that came down from heaven. And that you're also the bread that sprang forth from the earth when God raised you from the dead and seated you at his right hand in heavenly places where he lives to make intercession for us. Thank you, Lord.
the juice represents his blood, shed for us to institute a new covenant. In the new covenant, our sins are forgiven. There's no need for any additional sacrifices because he became the perfect sacrifice once for all. All the rules and regulations that bound people to the curse of the law have been fulfilled in Christ. And we take that fulfillment, that promise of the new covenant into our body every time we take communion. And it says that if you don't do this with the proper understanding and reverence, that's why people are sick and dying among you. But if we do it understanding that his work is finished and he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness, then we can appropriate for ourselves the promises of the new covenant. Each and every one of them is yours if you're in him and he's in you. Thank you, Lord. We take in your blood now for the promise of the new covenant you've given to us. Amen. Thank you. Here, honey. While the ushers are collecting those, I'd like to take a moment to say that um, this coming week, on February 10th, this Friday, is uh, Jane and my 13th wedding anniversary. And um, sweetheart, I love you. These 13 years have been the best years of my life. And I'm going to proclaim right now that the next 13 years are going to be even better still because the best is yet to come in Jesus' name. The title of my message this morning is called The Mystery of the Trees. The Mystery of the Trees. If you're in my class and you've already heard some of the things I'm going to speak today, be uh, thankful that you get to hear it again. <laughs> and if you've never heard it, you need to judge the word for yourself by is it consistent with the rest of Scripture or not. That's how we judge the word of God, is it always lines up with the written word. Because as John said in his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So everything comes out of this written word. First scripture I want to go to is Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we'll skip over to verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you'll be able to reason for yourself, is another way of putting that. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made them coverings. I believe that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden was a fig tree because they took fig leaves to make coverings for themselves. And in my studies, which I'm going to demonstrate by other scriptures, I believe that the fig tree in the Bible represents spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, It says, all like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned to his own way. And that's really the definition of sin, original sin, because when they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit, it created in their soul the ability to be self-reliant and self-sufficient, whereas previously God had created them to be reliant on him. And, and turn to him for all their needs. That's what we were created to do. But by enhancing their own souls through the knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to have at that time, they became self-sufficient. And isn't that the problem in our society even now? There's so many people who are so determined to be self-sufficient that they write God out of their lives and say, we don't need God. And the Bible predicted this 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. It's not a surprise. The kings of the earth gather together, it says in Psalm 2, against the Lord and against his anointed, the Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds from us. We don't need them controlling our lives anymore. But the Lord's response is, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He shall hold them in derision. When his wrath is kindled but a little, and then he says, but blessed are those who put their trust in him, in the Lord. Because even though we have the ability to be self-sufficient, many of us who are born again and have Jesus and Holy Spirit in us now have chosen to be God-sufficient, to let our own self-sufficiency aside 
die to ourselves and live for Christ. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21 and verse 22, let's look there. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on that tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Well, Jesus was hung on a tree, it says in the Bible, so that he could become a curse and remove the curse from us, from you and me. In Galatians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Verse 11 but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. It's quoting Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. And then in verse 13, it says that uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, and it quotes from Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So there's, this is part of the mystery of the trees. Some people that dig into ancient, ancient, ancient rabbinic writings and teachings of the old Jews from thousands and thousands of years ago have uncovered Bible codes hidden in Scripture in different languages. How many have heard of Bible codes? Raise your hand. Some Bible codes are derived from the original Hebrew language, and there's even Bible codes in English that they've uncovered. But what they've been saying is that it's possible that the very tree that Jesus was hung on when he was crucified was the same tree, that same fig tree, that was the tree of the, that provided the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying this is what many people who've dug way more into all this than I have or than we have, they believe that. It's, it's one of the mysteries to go along with the trees. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. Thank you, Lord. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 now. Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. It says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. In verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, 
you will know them. So then, in the, further on in the gospel, in Matthew 21, he's with his disciples. They've come up to Jerusalem. And in the morning, as he turned to the city in Matthew 21, 18, it says in verse 19, seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the tree, fig tree, wither away so soon? Well, the fig tree represents spiritual Israel. And the life cycle of the fig tree is this. In the early spring, it bears a few very large fruits. Then those, when those are done, it has leaves all summer long, but no fruit. And then in the fall at the time of the harvest, it bears many, many, many fruits that are much smaller. Now think about the history of the church. After Jesus went to be with the Lord and ascended back to heaven. The disciples were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And there were 120 and the 12 primary disciples who they fell on at that time. That few number, that small number of people went on to evangelize the immediate known world and millions of people became believers in Jesus Christ because of their testimony, their witness. They're like the early fruits of the fig tree. There's few of them, but they're large, and they, do, they did great things. They lived large in life, and they had large rewards for their um, sacrifice because they were all martyred, as we know. Then in the summer of the cycle of the fig tree, that represents the dark ages of the church where for a thousand years the church wasn't bearing fruit, there was no Holy Spirit in pe dwelling in people, and the whole world was plunged into what we call the dark ages. Then the Reformation came. People started being drawn back to the Word of God, and it was eventually translated into English so common people could read it instead of only clergy. In the Roman Catholic Church, during all those years, only the priests could read the Bible, and it was translated into Latin, and only Latin at that time. But when everybody had an opportunity to read the Word of God and study the Word of God, then different revelations came forth. The first one was the just shall are saved by faith. We're saved by faith, not by works. Then there were other revelations that came forward, and eventually it came up to the 20th century when revivals broke out and other things were starting to be restored back to the church, like healing, um, apostles and prophets. And, you know, there was the Jesus People Movement, the Azusa Street Revival, the Toronto Blessing, the 
Brownsville revival, all those things. We're adding power and authority and the power of God and the presence of God back into the church. And now we, believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, are like the many fruits in the autumn of the fig tree cycle where we can go out, even though we're not going to do the same great things that the original apostles did, but because there's so many more of us, we can reach the entire world and bring in this billion-soul harvest at the end of the age so that Christ can return and claim his church and we can move into the millennial reign. So we are the fall fruits of the fig tree. The early apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost were the spring fruits of the fig tree. And when it had no fruit for all those thousand and more years in between, that's why Jesus, when he solemnly leaves on that tree, cursed it. It was a symbolic cursing of a tree that didn't bear fruit. And that's why he warns us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who's not vitally connected to me, the Father will come and prune away. But if you're bearing fruit, if you're in me and I'm in you, you will bear much fruit, fruit that remains. And that's the life of someone in, in the spiritual Israel. And you, we'll talk about this later, those of you who are Gentiles have been grafted in to the tree of Israel. I'll talk about that later. So in, um, after he did what he did to the fig tree, cursed it and it withered, they asked him about it and Jesus answered in 21, Matthew 21 verse 21 and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, in prayer believing, you will receive. It says a similar verse in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. It's not going to be up on your screen, but he said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And when I looked that up in four different translations to understand what it meant... I found one in the Message Bible. In the Message Bible, it says, whatever you ask in my name that's in accordance with who I am and what I'm planning, I'll do. And that's why it's so critical to have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Because only through our personal, intimate relationship, only learning to hear his voice, and only allowing him to lead and guide us through our path of life, well, we know what he's planning so that when we pray, we can pray into what he's planning and our prayers will be answered immediately. Amen. Because it's who he is and what he's going to do anyway. He just wants us to learn, know him well enough to tap into that. Amen. Leviticus 19, 23 through 25. Oh, okay, let's go to the Luke verses first, I'm sorry. In Luke 6, verse 43, it says, A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. 
and men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. If we're going to be spiritual, fruit-bearing members of God's kingdom, we have to speak good things so that our speech produces good things in others. And Jesus impressed upon the apostle Paul when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we must all be sta stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged on what we did while in the body. Yes, it does mean this physical body that we're living in now, but it also means what did we do to perform our part for the entire body of Christ. And we need to know what our part is. And he's the one who chooses what your part is. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or chapter 14, and chapter 14, is that he chooses which part we're going to play for the body of Christ, not us. We don't get to pick our part. We get to do what he wants us to do. In Leviticus 19, there's a thing called the law of the trees. The law of the trees. Let's pull that up, please. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised or not worthy to be eaten. Three years it shall be uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. Then in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. Well, those of us who have been coming to hear Pastor Gary's messages about God's math on Wednesday evening have been told that three is the number of perfection and completion. So for three years, while the fruit is being completed and perfected, we're not to eat it. The fourth, number four, is the number of earth. There's four seasons, four wind directions, northeast, west, and south, four gospels. You can all think of many examples of the number four in Scripture. On, in the fourth year, it should be considered holy unto the Lord because he created everything. And then in the fifth year, the number of grace that's when we can eat and enjoy the fruit of the tree that we planted because we have grace from God to do things that are going to bring us peace and joy. And we also have grace to not do things even though we're free to do them that would be harmful to us. Grace works both ways. It protects us and it empowers us. Thank you, Lord. In Jude... Chapter 12, or chapter, verse 12, the second part of it, 
It says there are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. It's talking about apostates, people who once were believers but have fallen away because of false teaching or false doctrine or because of self-sufficiency. They are clouds carried about without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. You see, late autumn trees are supposed to have many, many, many fruits in the fig tree life cycle. But he's saying that apostate people are late autumn trees without fruit, and they're going to be like the fruitless branches of the vine Jesus talked about in John 15 that are pruned and cut off and thrown into the fire by his Father. We are warned over and over again that there's going to be false teachers false prophets, false doctrines in the latter time, and even some of the elect will fall into those doctrines and believe it and be separated from the truth that's in Christ. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is so that you won't be among them. (laughs) You know, we, we don't want that for anybody. Let's go to Judges chapter 9, starting in verse 8. Judges chapter 9 and verse 8. The trees once went forth to anoint a king king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil? with which they honor God and men and go sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go sway over trees? So, the olive tree represents natural Israel. Israel in the natural, as the fig tree represents Israel in the spiritual. The olive tree said, I need to continue to produce fruit so they can make oil that anoints them to do the work of the kingdom. And the fig tree said, I need to produce my fruit that, it, that is sweet to their body and helps them remain strong in the Lord. Let's look at the olive tree now. I think you get the message about the fig tree. I hope so. Well, one more little thing about the fig tree. In John 1, verse 48, uh, he's calling Nathaniel to be one of his chosen followers. And he says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel believed in him and knew he was the Messiah because he said that. Well, it could have been any tree. It could have been a terebinth tree. It could have been a, an oak tree. It could have been a cedar of Lebanon or an olive tree. But the Bible says clearly it was a fig tree. Because fig tree represents spiritual Israel. And he was in a spiritually really bad place until Jesus called him. And when 
Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael understood that he looked into his heart, saw where he was at, and that Jesus himself had come to meet that need, that spiritual need, and start raising him up to be a disciple. So, let's move on to the olive tree. The olive tree represents natural Israel, starting in Romans chapter 11 and verse 2. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what Scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads, Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Throughout the history of God's chosen people, no matter how horrible the judgments against them were, there was always a remnant who believed and were spared those judgments. And then it says, just as in Romans 11, verse 8, just as it is written, God has given them, the non-believing Jews, a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Move on to the next one, please. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Move ahead, please. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. That's the, that's the calling and the blessing that was due to Israel because of the covenant of Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. That covenant has never been rescinded. The covenant that Jesus came to, to take away was the covenant that God gave to Moses when he introduced the law on Mount Sinai, and Jesus became the final sacrifice and instituted a new covenant with his blood to remove that old covenant and institute his new covenant. But the covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 12 still exists. And many of our presidents in our lifetime have found out about that. Those who were unfriendly to Israel brought cursing upon America, and those who were friendly and generous toward Israel brought blessings upon America. But Paul goes on to warn the Gentile believers that he's writing to in Rome, do not boast against the branches. If you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, 
Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness in the faith. Otherwise, you also will or can be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, which is Israel, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree again? For I do not desire, brothers and sisters, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, the mystery of the trees, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Praise the Lord. I hope you can see from these verses from Romans chapter 11 how the olive tree truly represents natural Israel. Now, there's other trees mentioned in the Bible. And those trees represent the spiritual growth of individual believers. We're going to look at that next. First one is Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor stands, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law, or you could say the word of the Lord. And in his word he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So as an early believer, when you're first saved, the first thing you want to do is be rooted in the Word of God and be like a tree planted by the river. Now it says it bears its fruit in its season. So there's going to be seasons early in your walk with the Lord where you're bearing fruit and you're thinking, wow, this is really great. What a wonderful thing I've stumbled into that God called me to or that I finally discovered. But then there's going to be seasons of dryness, seasons where there's no rain, there's no, you're not bearing fruit, it's just dry in your life. And during those seasons, it says the tree who's planted by the river, its leaves never wither. 
that means that we need to keep a positive attitude towards the Lord and towards God and have faith in what he called us to. Whether we're bearing fruit and things look good on the outside in our circumstances or not. Because trust me, God did not come to change your circumstances. He came to change you in your circumstances so that you can be the kind of fruit-bearing tree or vine that he's looking for in this day and age where we're going to see people coming into churches in, in the future who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't smell like us. They may have tattoos. They may have piercings. They may be gay or lesbian. They may have long hair, short hair, shabby clothes, whatever they have. We need to welcome them with love. The next tree is in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 1 and 3. Verses 1 through 3. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. You see, the tree has now progressed. Its leaves stay green all the time. It's not afraid of the seasons of drought. It bears fruit more continuously, and it's more securely rooted and grounded in the Lord, which is represented by the river. And that's what we are to be in our walk with the Lord, growing, being more firmly rooted and grounded through his word keeping a positive attitude in every circumstance, and learning to bear fruit for his kingdom. Amen? Now let's go on to Ezekiel, chapter 47, verse 12. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for medicine. You see the ultimate status of a believer who's now matured spiritually to the point where they're bearing fruit all the time. The leaves are used for medicine. The fruit is for food. They're rooted and grounded so perfectly in the Lord and in his word that nothing can shake them, nothing can keep them from their appointed mission here on earth. And that's the kind of progress we need to be looking for in each of our own lives. We're all in different places in our own walk with the Lord. And you should never compare yourself with anyone else. If you compare yourself with others, you'll always be either vain or bitter. Because always there will be lesser persons or greater persons than you. What you need to compare yourself with is how you were last year, four years ago, ten years ago, and what has Jesus done to bring you where you are now? Amen. 
finally, let's look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Next verse, chapter 22. And he showed me, this is John, the revelator, talking, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants so shall serve him. This is our destiny. This is what the final picture and reward looks like. Now there's trees along the river that flows from the throne of God. It's the tree of life. We can eat of its fruit and live forever. There'll be no more sickness or disease because if anything even tries to come against you in that way, you eat the leaves and they're healing, they're medicine. And he promises to wipe away every tear. There'll be no need of the sun or of the moon because the brightness of the manifest presence of the Lord will light up the entire place. And it's the only light we'll ever need. So the mystery of the trees is that we can learn how we are supposed to be progressing in our walk with the Lord and what kind of attitude we're supposed to have toward the church history, toward the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Because there's been times when replacement theology was taught. How many know what I'm talking about with replacement theology? In replacement theology, it says basically that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen, and they're entitled to all the blessings promised to Abraham, and the Jews, because they rejected Christ, are entitled to all the curses. That is a false teaching from the root of hell. And it's not true. As Paul said, when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, all Israel will be saved the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. Amen. Amen. So, thank you very much for um, listening about my message about the mystery of the trees. I hope it's blessed you. And if there's any people here in the auditorium listening to me this morning who aren't sure where they stand with the Lord, and you want to make your choice secure. There's only two choices. Either you choose Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord and you ask him to come into your heart or you reject him. Those who choose him have eternal life with him in heaven, our home. Those who reject him spend their eternity in hell and I want everyone who isn't sure and wants to be sure, you can come forward and we'll pray for you. And I want the altar workers who are assigned for today to please come forward right now. Also, 
if you just want to have us pray that your personal walk will be enhanced and God will give you extra grace and mercy to start um, knowing where you stand and how you can continue to improve in his calling on your life, you can come forward for prayer for that. And our friend Richard, or Dennis, I'm sorry, has asked that I speak the ironic benediction to close the service in Hebrew and in English. And while I'm doing that, if you would, um, come forward if you're going to come forward, and the rest of you are dismissed when I'm finished. Ya eradonai panavaleka vikuneka Yisadonai panavaleka veosim laka Shalom The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name above every name, in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah and Savior, amen. Thank you, sir.